This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. (laughs) Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in Melbourne's CBD. Today's big question, did Jesus have to die? We ask this question today to Sam Reeve. Sam is Senior Minister of Cross Culture, a church in the heart of Melbourne. Sam has previously worked in Pakistan and in theological education in Australia. And he joins me now. Please welcome Sam Reeve. (laughs) Sam, welcome to Bigger Questions. Thanks, Rob. It's great you can be here. Now, Sam, you're the pastor of a church right at Melbourne Central. What's that like? It's fantastic. Yeah? In what way? What, what makes it so um, fantastic? Well, we, we have about 50,000 people a day go past our door. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you open the door, some of them come in. Okay, right. And some of them, they've got all sorts Sleep of needs. Sleep there or something, do they? Or? Well, yeah, we have that as well. But um, <laughs> they, some of them come and say, tell us what Christianity is all about. Yeah. Uh, how can I become a Christian? People ask you that question. Yeah, in, they do. In sometimes, Day. yeah, sometimes they just want uh, want some help, or they want mm-hmm. some. They're in deep need. Want mm-hmm. someone to pray for them. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. offer them some things to help them with their needs that they have. Yes, we can. Yeah, as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, we have regular things like a meal for the homeless and uh, refugee programs, English learning programs, that kind of stuff. Terrific. Right yep. in Melbourne Central, and about fifty thousand people a day. Yeah, they don't all come in. But... <laughs> okay, because that's a big church, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Anyway, to kick up bigger questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. So, Sam, as today's question is about Jesus, we thought we'd ask you a couple of smaller questions about how much you know about the impact of Jesus. Now, do you feel qualified at all to answer this question? No, not really. I'm still getting to know Jesus after okay. 50 years of right. trusting him, but <laughs> okay. let's give it a go. We'll give it a go. We'll see how you go. There's two questions, both at multiple choice. In 1966, one of the members of the famous band, The Beatles, said, we're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Now, which member of The Beatles said this? Was it A, John Lennon, B, Ringo Starr, C, Paul McCartney, or D, George Harrison? I think it was the first one. John Lennon. Yes. And you're right. Yes, it is. Congratulations. Yes, John yeah. Lennon. Yes. Now it's, oh, oh, yeah. Well, why not, hey? Give him an applause. Uh, it wasn't that hard, I didn't think. But anyway, um, it's interesting. If you compare Jesus to the Beatles on Google Trends today, Jesus is searched for on average between 10 to 15 times more than the Beatles. So perhaps he was a little bit premature in suggesting that. He didn't have the gift of prophecy, did he? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he didn't, no. Uh, but it's also interesting that interest in Jesus tends to peak around Easter and Christmas time. That's when the, uh, Jesus is searched for more times. Wow. Uh, and there's also simply more interest in the searching for the name Jesus in Mexico uh, as well. Perhaps they're looking for a relative or a friend or something perhaps as well. <laughs> anyway, right. question two. Who said, I am not a believer, but I must confess that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very centre of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history. Was it A, Bertrand Russell, the great sceptical philosopher? B, H.G. Wells, the great author of War of the Worlds? C, Napoleon Bonaparte, the great military and political leader? Or D, Beyonce, the great singer and dancer? (laughs) All of them should have said it, but I (laughs) I think um, Napoleon. I'll go for Napoleon. Okay, well... You could, but unfortunately it's wrong. <laughs> I'll give you a second chance. If you wanted to go for another one, which one, again, in the top half of the list, perhaps? Um, 
What about Bertie Russell? Or, 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 yeah, or perhaps it could have been HG Wells. It was HG Wells, oh, that's yeah, right. Yeah. So HG Wells. Get it right mate, after all. You did eventually, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, Sam, you nearly got two out of two. You got one out of two of our bigger questions right. You passed our quiz. So please, a big round of applause for Sam. <laughs> now, so Sam, we're talking about Jesus, a remarkable person, someone who searched for on the internet, someone who remains more popular than the Beatles, and whom HG Wells regarded as the most dominant in all history. So what do you think makes Jesus so impressive? Where do you start? Um, Jesus was the most complete human being that ever lived. Mm -hmm. I think two things stand out to me. Firstly, his humility. Yeah. Um, I think most of us, most human beings, we try to improve our life. We try to get the next job up the line. We try to get the next better investment or improve ourselves, uh, get on somehow. And uh, does, that doesn't seem to have any end. You know, people who are in charge of $50 billion companies want to find a $100 billion one to be in charge of. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jesus did the opposite. He, he had the top spot. He's the ruler and creator of the whole universe. And he voluntarily took on the bottom spot. Mm. The, the Bible tells us he became a slave uh, for the purpose of dying. Mm. To me, that's really, really impressive. Mm. Mm. The absolute humility that he demonstrates. Yes, and I, and I think the, the other thing is he's, um, that drove that, his compassion. Mm-hmm. Uh, that When we see it throughout his life, you read the Gospels over and over again, it says Jesus had compassion on them. You know, people with leprosy, people whose kid had died or, you know, people who are uh, tortured by demons or, or whatever. Mm. He, he, he was just filled with compassion and, uh, of course, that's what drove him to, to do what our question asks today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also, does that, that compassion, is that what in some ways inspired by Jesus' compassion is what drives you and your church to care for those who have need around your church? Yes. Yeah, we hope so. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't speak for everybody, but, <laughs> okay. I, but yeah, I think we, we, we try to reflect what he's like. And I think, I think the thing, too, about Jesus' compassion, like most of us, can be compassionate to our friends and our mates and people we like but Jesus is actually compassionate to his enemies mm. which is That's pretty just, tough. A, just a whole different level altogether yeah and uh, yeah so what, what is it about Jesus that particularly impresses you then Sam well those two things that personally I've experienced his love and his compassion mm-hmm. and his uh, forgiveness yeah, so to me that's the standout. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are other things I could talk about. His, his, his uh, integrity and his justice and his holiness. He's a very, very compelling person. Yeah, well, as H.G. Wells says, he's the most dominant in all history and, and probably for good reason. Today we're asking Sam Reeve today's big question, did Jesus have to die? Um, and given that Jesus is such a dominant figure in history, we come to a story recorded about him in the Bible, which is perhaps surprising. In chapter 14 of the Gospel of Mark, which is one of the four biographies of Jesus' life that we have, Jesus goes with three of his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Jesus goes off and prays, and he becomes deeply distressed and troubled. And so in the passage there, uh, he prays, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now, Sam, this seems puzzling because if you read through the Gospel of Mark, Jesus always seems powerful and in control, yet here he's overwhelmed. So is this significant? Definitely. He's, he's coming to face the whole reason why he came to earth. Mm-hmm. And I think he's 
facing up to the horror of what that actually means. Yeah. Uh, so so what's, he, what's, he, what's he facing up to? Yeah, he's come to, he's, he's, he, earlier in Mark's Gospel, he said he's come to give his life as a ransom mm-hmm. for many to buy people back out of slavery. And he, of all people, understood the depth of what that meant mm-hmm. and, and what it was going to cost to do that, yeah. not just in physical terms but spiritually as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's, yeah, sizing that all up. <laughs> so what was it going to cost him? His life. Yeah. And separation from the Father taking on himself... Uh, the penalty and the guilt of our, our wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for an innocent person to do that, that's a big deal. Yeah. A question just come, just to clarify something you've just asked. What do you mean by buying people out of slavery? Well, the Bible makes it pretty clear that if, if we're not on God's side, we're on the other side. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're in, we're, there's lots of levels at which human beings are, are slaves, I think. Uh, the Bible talks about us being slaves of Satan. Yeah. But... Uh, Probably in more commonly in our experience, we experience being slaves of uh, our own desires and mm-hmm. our own uh, feeding ourselves. Uh, actually, yesterday I was chatting to a guy on the train, I was sitting next to him, and he's playing this game on his app. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, This is really addictive. And, I, and, uh, <laughs> and he, so you joined in. <laughs> you, showed, you showed him some cheats. Oh, I was interested. No, I don't know anything about it. The fidget, fidget spinner thing. But anyway. <laughs> He just couldn't stop doing it. He'd, right. he'd flick this thing trillions of times, he told me. <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, yeah. So, so someone he was a slave to his passions or desires. Yeah, that's a very simple thing, I think. But uh, at, at a very basic level, uh, we're pretty much enslaved to looking after ourselves and mm. that has implications for relationships mm. with other people. Mm. And but you're saying that Jesus redeems us from that. Yes, and well, from the consequences of it, which I don't think we understand mm. how horrendous it is. Mm. But perhaps Jesus did. That's why he was feeling yes, overwhelmed. That, yeah, exactly. So I don't think we really understand the consequences of declaring ourselves autonomous from God. Mm. Uh, you know, we, we don't think it's a big deal, you know, because we think we're in control of our life, our circumstances, whatever. Yeah. And but Jesus, of all people, knows how horrendous that is. Mm. Yeah. Well, so going a little farther, Jesus fell to the ground uh, in this passage we were looking at and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. So what's his hour that he's talking about? Yes, it's very interesting, isn't it? it, it um, he knows that he's going to be killed mm-hmm. the next day. Uh, so that's the hour, the hour of him making that sacrifice that would fix up this whole problem of our alienation from God. Mm. And that's what he's been working towards all his life. If, if you look at John's Gospel earlier on, you know, people try to kill him, but they don't because his hour hasn't come. Mm. And, but here he says, this is it. Time's mm. up. The time's up. This is the... The job's got to be done. Judgment day, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, some object to this, though, and say that if the purpose, as you've mentioned, of Jesus coming into the world was for him to die, then surely God would pray for thanks for God to quicken the coming hour and enable him to fulfill his destiny. But exactly the opposite depicted here. Rather than praying for his destiny to be fulfilled quickly, Jesus prays that it could be averted. Why is that? I think he's just facing the horror of what it's going to mean and uh, maybe a little bit like, you know, you've got a big project on and you've done all the preparation and it's about to be launched and you you just realise how huge it is and Mm. what a massive risk it is if it goes wrong and all that and you... You know, every, we all have those moments. Why did I get into this, you know? <laughs> Usually happens about six weeks after your kids are born. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll talk to your kids um, yeah, after yeah. <laughs> to see if they still feel that way. Um, 
But that Jesus seems to be approaching death very differently to other historical figures. So, for example, the famous Greek philosopher Socrates was tried and sentenced to death by drinking a cup of poison hemlock. Yet he faced death quite cheerfully, without tremor, with no change of colour or expression. So why was Socrates' approach to death radically different to Jesus's? It's a good question. I, I, I can't really answer for Socrates, but um, again, I think we don't really understand the enormity of, of death, of, of having to face up to God and, and of having to give answer for our rebellion against him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my guess is Socrates, like most human beings, don't understand that. And uh, I talk to people who say, oh, yeah, it's just, just like going through a doorway, you know. But the Bible tells a different story. It says, you know, all of us must give account to God. Mm. And, uh, and so Jesus knows that. And Jesus knows that he is going to give account or pay the price for our rebellion himself. And he knows how big a deal that is. So mm. I'm mm. not surprised that he's more disturbed than the Socrates, Socrates was. Yeah. Or maybe even as I would be in the face of my death. Well, perhaps one of the reasons for Jesus' distress at his impending death is in verse 36, where Jesus says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So what's this cup that Jesus is talking about here? This isn't a football cup that he's talking about here, he's going to get. What is the cup? So earlier when Jesus' disciples, they want to take the pick positions in the kingdom. And Jesus says to them, can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think in that context, it's a cup of suffering. But it refers back uh, to the Old Testament, where all of the major prophets talk about God telling the prophet to take the cup and make the nations drink it. And, it, and it's the cup of God's wrath. It's a terrifying picture, actually. Uh, I think in Jeremiah, he says, they'll take this, they'll stagger, they'll reel, and they won't get up. Mm-hmm. Because of their sin against God and their rebellion against God, he's told also to give it to God's own people, the Israelites, because they also had turned away from God and, and taken up other gods. Uh, so it's the cup of God's upsetness, God's anger, mm-hmm. God's right and holy and just uh, wrath against human sin, right? human rebellion but, against him. But is that, I mean, how, is that fair? I mean, Jesus hasn't done anything wrong. Yeah, no, it's not fair. <clears throat> Anybody who's had kids, and if you blame the wrong kid for some wrongdoing, <laughs> you find out pretty quickly what justice is all about. Yeah. Uh, so it's not fair that Jesus take it, no. Yeah. So, I mean, you've had a conversation about Muslims about this in, in Pakistan yeah. as you spent some time there. Um, now, you had a conversation once about a Muslim about this kind of concept. To tell us, what was that about? What happened? Yeah, actually, I was in a train one day and a, and, and a Muslim imam came into our compartment guy with a big long beard and we were having a good old conversation and uh, we, the conversation turned to Jesus and I began talking about these things and saying, you know, Jesus came to die uh, to pay the price for our sins. And uh, he got quite upset actually. He said, that's not fair. We mm-hmm. should pay for our own sins. And I agreed with him, of course. He said, yes, we should. Mm-hmm. But what's the consequence of that? That we, we die and we are eternally separated from God. That's the, that's the result of our wrongdoing and our sin. Mm. That's the consequence of it. So how did you take that answer? His, his own background, of course, uh, he didn't want to accept it. In fact, uh, he left the compartment fairly soon after that. Right. So, so you, didn't have any, you didn't finish that conversation? <laughs> no, I think yeah. he had to rush off and do something. But okay. he, he, he objected really strongly to the idea. That somebody else should pay for his yeah, sins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But and I think we, we do that as well, don't we? You know, if someone's unjustly condemned for some crime, there's a huge outcry in the community. 
mm. and they need to be compensated and all that stuff. Mm. And so again, it points to the enormity of what Jesus is doing, and his deep, deep compassion and love, mm. for, even for his enemies. Mm. But it is still unfair on Jesus. I mean, indeed, British theologian Steve Chalk once claimed that the message of the cross, which is Jesus drinking the cup of his father's wrath, as we've just looked at, is tantamount to child abuse, a vengeful father punishing his son for an offence he's not even committed. So is Jesus' death divine child abuse? Uh, in abuse, you have a perpetrator and you have a victim. Mm -hmm. Everything we read about the eyewitness accounts of Jesus and his own words... He never thought himself of himself as a victim and, uh, and I don't think God thought of himself as a perpetrator. Uh, let me tell you a story. A friend of mine uh, and his family and another family were out uh, having a picnic and their kids were swimming was in, a, in a lake and the kids got into difficulty and, and two of them were um, starting to go under. And uh, my friend Dale, his wife said to him, Dale, do something. So Dale dived into the lake and... Uh, one of the kids actually was starting to get towards the shore. He went out to the one that was in the most trouble and he pushed her towards the shore and he went under and he didn't come up. He died. Now, was his wife abusing him when she said, do something? He could have sat there and said, no, nah, don't feel like going in there. But he did. He willingly got up and dived into the lake. Now, he didn't know he was going to die. He didn't know that there were dangerous currents there and that's why the kids were in trouble. Um, but because he loved those kids and they weren't his own kids, he, he did it. And the kid was saved and he drowned. Mm. Mm. So I think that's what's happening here. That It's not uh, child abuse. It's God the Father and God the Son uh, realised that in, in order to bring humanity back and, and open up this way for people to come back into relationship with God, somebody perfect, somebody innocent had to die to, to, uh, for justice to be satisfied. Mm. And uh, Jesus was the one and Jesus willingly agreed to it. And as you read the Gospels, he set his face toward Jerusalem. You know, he, he willingly went there and the disciples said, we don't do it, you're going to die. He just kept going. So there's nothing about the victim in it. He's totally in control, even as he's being tried a few hours after this. You know, he says, even to the guy who's condemning him, you have no authority unless it's given to you from God. And earlier on he says, I, I lay my life down so that I can take it up again. He's, he, he willingly did it. Mm. It's a very long stretch mm. to say that it's child <laughs> abuse. Mm. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing. That's obviously a very emotional story yeah, as, you, yeah, as you recount that. So, that was a good mate. Yes, yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so as we reflect on Jesus, obviously he was very powerful. Jesus was so powerful and his death was potentially preventable. I'm sure he, he could have not died if he wanted to. So then why did he die? Uh, he came to seek and to save the lost, give his life a ransom for many. So... That, that price needed to be paid in order to fulfil the claims of justice and in order to display God's perfect love for, for his people. So it's those two things working together. That, that's why he had to die. Mm, mm. Mm. But he could have. Yeah, he could have stepped back. Yeah. He could have come down off the cross the next day. Mm. So Sam, how is this good news to you then? Perhaps maybe you could just share a little bit about how you became a Christian believer and what difference this has made to you. Yeah, when I was a young teenager, 
there were a couple of things going on. I was at that stage in school where the teachers and my mentors were all saying, you can dream the dream. You can be whatever you want to be, do whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, fantastic. You know, you know what you like when the, your body's getting bigger and your head's getting bigger. <laughs> uh, you, you think you can do anything. Yeah. However, I did observe when the Olympics were on, the, there wasn't a lot of space on the gold medal podium. So there were, were billions of people who were going to miss out on that one. But yeah. anyway, that's another thing. Yeah. Um, so that was going on. And, but this, at the same time in my personal life, there were things beginning to happen uh, that I didn't like. Mm-hmm. I was starting to use bad language and mm-hmm. it's a fairly small thing really, I guess. But it made you feel uncomfortable? or Yes. And I, and I, wanted, I didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to stop doing it. And I tried really, really hard and I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And so I said to myself, I haven't tried hard enough. Well, by the end of this school term, I will have stopped. Mm-hmm. And it got worse. And so I'm putting these two things together in my head and I think, okay, actually, my life is not in my control. I can't control these fairly simple things. I'm going to control the big things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's when it all made sense to me, what I'd been told, that uh, Christ came to fix that. He came to forgive that, get rid of that, the penalty and the guilt of sin, and to, to free us to live a life of serving him. Hmm. And of course, then I realised too that my dreams were pretty <laughs> puny compared to what he had in mind yeah. <laughs> for the universe. So it's been a long journey of. Hmm. So what happened? So what happened to your language? It uh, it cleaned up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so what what, other, what difference has it made to you then? You said you mentioned you you feel somewhat free. Yes, I I, I still struggle with doing the wrong thing. Yep. But I think I've been freed from the enslavement of trying to get my own way all the time mm. uh, to serve God and, and get his way all the time or as much as I can. Mm. Yeah, so I think it's, it's freed me up to respond to God and to reach out to others without that load of failure and guilt. And trying to prove yourself. Yeah, trying to prove myself. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. So why is an encounter with Jesus in Gethsemane so important to you? Well, I think it shows us the core of who he is and what he came to do. And I think, too, that it also, I think, shows us uh, how humanity responds to Jesus without him changing us. Mm-hmm. So you've got those three disciples who... Yeah, they, can, they keep falling asleep. They keep falling asleep. Jesus comes back, wakes them up, they fall asleep again. I don't think anyone in our audience is falling asleep just yet, so I'll just... Uh, I can yeah. see a few who are on the verge. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's okay. We can, uh, we'll point them out. So, yeah, that'll keep them awake. Yeah. yeah. So the disciples, they're falling asleep. Yeah, this is the response perhaps to, how, to, to what's going on here. Yes, it tells us that they don't understand, uh, and, and neither does humanity, why it's necessary for Jesus to do this. Mm-hmm. But I think it also points to a deeper thing that actually Jesus has to do this alone. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because he alone has lived the perfect life. So he alone can make that perfect sacrifice. Mm. And so there is a real sense in which the disciples cannot help him. They didn't want to, but they can't either. <laughs> they didn't, I don't think they understood that. But I think it's a, it's a bit of a picture God's giving us here of how this plays out. That mm. there's only one who can do this. Mm. Well, the, the section concludes with Jesus returning to his disciples a third time and finds them sleeping again. He says to them, enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So do you think this moment signifies the answer to Jesus' prayer of anguish? Yeah, I think so. He's prayed, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And then, of course, he said, not my will, but your will be done. Mm-hmm. And so... From that, I think it's clear that Jesus knows 
that the answer is he has to do it. Mm. And he will do it. He wants to do it. Mm. But he's, he's just grappling <laughs> with the enormity of it. It's, it's obviously a very painful, difficult thing for him to do. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yep. Now, a couple of other questions have come in. I'm fine that there might be a cost to sin. Actions have consequences. But why is the cost of salvation blood and death? Why are these the currency of this economy? It's possibly a, an economist has asked that question, perhaps, <laughs> or an accountant. Um, yeah, so wh why, why is the cost of salvation blood and death? Yeah, way back in the beginning with the first people, with Adam and Eve, uh, God said, he gave them everything. And, and, and they're living in a paradise. And he said, there's one thing I don't want you to do. Don't eat the fruit of that tree. And he said, if you do it, you'll die. Mm -hmm. And of course they did it. And so just that way back in the beginning, God said that's the way things are. So I think right at the beginning, he's saying the, the seriousness of living a life with God out of the equation is very, very deep and big. You know? mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not a small thing. Mm. So he gave us life in the first place. Yes, that's right. Again, I think uh, it, it points to the justice of God that this thing is very, very serious and God knows that if we pay the price for it, that's it, game over, you know. Mm. We, 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 well, we kind of do, don't we? If we die, yes. we've kind of paid for separation from the source of life. Yes, I, yes, I yeah. yeah. And, and that's much bigger spiritual implications as well. Mm. Mm. Another question is, why should I care about being eternally separated from God if he's even there? Good question. Oh, good. That's what we yeah, asked yeah. them here. <laughs> the bigger questions. So why, <laughs> why should you care about it? Yeah, about being eternally separated from God. Uh, two reasons. I think, firstly, you're missing out on so much. God has created you for a relationship with himself. Uh, so, I mean, that's a truly wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the, the other thing is uh, that the, the consequences of living a life from, apart from God are, are so severe Mm -hmm. um, most people in our culture say, well, I don't believe God exists, but uh, maybe I could use this illustration. If I, if I get pulled up for speeding, it's not going to change much if I say to the cop, look, I don't believe you exist. <laughs> it's not going to wash. You could try. Yeah, you could, you could, you could try. Now, I don't want to portray God as a policeman. But, but, uh, but in some senses, what you're saying here is that he's a dispenser of justice and a police officer yes. is a dispenser of justice. And that's so right. In that sense that... That's what that, that's that the role that that particular character fulfills. Yes, and, and, but he's a loving dispenser of justice, mm. so that actually what we learn in the garden is that, yep, we get the ticket, but he pays the fine. Mm. <laughs> he's a loving, just, holy God. Mm. So Sam, why did Jesus have to die? To save us, to rescue us. There was no other way for mm. that to happen. Mm. For justice to happen. For justice to happen and also for his love to be fully displayed and manifest mm. so that we could understand how mm. incredibly deep and unconditional and, and uh, wonderful his love is. Mm. Let me leave you with the Bible's answer to the big question, did Jesus have to die? Mark 14.36. Abba Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. I look forward to you joining us next time for bigger questions. Please thank our guest today, Sam Reeve. <laughs>